you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Pro Bowl voting is here, and awesome Pro Bowl starts with awesome players, and your vote helps decide who gets a spot on the AFC and NFC rosters. Show your love, cast your vote, and make sure your favorite players make it to the 2020 Pro Bowl. Vote today and be entered to win exclusive prizes at NFL.com slash Pro Bowl vote. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here. Move the sticks. And, uh, Buck, we've got a couple intriguing quarterback battles to discuss. We've got one that took place in college last week, which we haven't had a chance to, to dive into. And we've also got a big, we'll call it a rematch here, taking place in the NFL, one that we saw at the collegiate level that we're both looking forward to. Yeah, really looking forward to this college football. I mean, not even college football, but this football weekend. Uh, the Houston Texans taking on the Baltimore Ravens. We get a chance to discuss and watch Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson. I think it brings us back to a conversation that we had after watching them in 2016. Uh, we're going to take a look at the top receivers um, in previous draft class, the last four draft classes. There's a debate between whether you invest in a receiver in the first round or the second round. We're going to dig a little deeper into that. And then college football is beginning to kind of pop back up more for us as the draft draws near. We're beginning to dig into these guys. So we're talking about Tua versus Joe Burrow, but also just how deep this wide receiver class is. I don't know if it's the best position in the draft, but I know it's going to be a lot of fun popping on the tape and watching these guys make plays, uh, guys that are catching the ball all over the yard. Yeah, no, it is definitely a, a great group of wide receivers. I tweeted out it's it's the best collection, and I and I no slight to the 2014 draft, which was loaded with guys with Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and company. Um, but I think this is the best collection of wide receivers coming into a draft that I've uh, that I've seen. So uh, we'll get into that in just a minute. I do want to uh, uh, start us off here um, looking at the matchup between the Baltimore Ravens and the Houston Texans, and really that quarterback battle that we. Uh, 
Uh, I think everybody in the country is looking forward to seeing Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson because it was such a dynamic, fun, explosive game at the collegiate level. We can't wait to see uh, what they do in this NFL matchup. And, Buck, um, before we get into what we've seen from these guys in their NFL careers and what we expect in this ball game, let's go back in the time machine because I remember that game, you remember that game, and we actually discussed – that Louisville-Clemson game on our podcast the day after, or right after that game. Uh, so here, let's go back in time. Here's our comments after that game. The Clemson-Louisville oh, yeah. game, the Lamar Jackson versus Deshaun Watson showdown. I got to ask you your take on just the two quarterbacks, what you saw from each of those guys. Well, I mean, look, I, I, I texted you during the game, Buck. I mean, it was <laughs> like halftime. No, it was after halftime. It was at the end of the third quarter, and I just said, dude, I don't know who's going to win the game. Lamar Jackson's the best player in the field, and it's not close. Unbelievable watching him. He is. Smooth. I, t- I got a text from one of my buddies that was at the game. A scout was at the game and said, I went down the field before the game. This guy looks like a Ferrari, and he runs like a Ferrari. He, you know, it's, it's, he is sleek. He's, he's fast, and I know he's slender, and I know ultimately it's unfortunate for all these guys that are not able to come out right away, but that we'll have more time to pick him apart, <laughs> and we're talking about how slender he is and can he hold up. But right now watching, he is probably the guy that I would pay money, my own money out my pocket, oh, yeah. to get a ticket to go watch because he's so explosive. And the comparisons to me to Michael Vick are valid in terms of the electricity that he brings when he's on the field. Buck, first of all, we sound great. That's uh, that's three years ago on the yeah. Sticks podcast. Yeah, uh, we're, your your thoughts, there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, there's a lot of impact. I I think we have to start with Lamar Jackson first because the comments that we had on Lamar Jackson were the strongest. Um, I think it goes back to a game that we've kind of played where we call it blink scouting, where the first initial thoughts that you think about a prospect, write them down and kind of put them away and then go back and revisit it. Well, everything that you heard in that conversation, uh, we were believers in Lamar Jackson back then. Um, He was a little different because we hadn't seen anyone at quarterback that kind of dominated the game as a runner but for two years in a row he rushed for over 1500 yards we saw him throw for over 3400 yards in each season as a starter at Louisville and then you fast forward you go to the National Football League the same things that he did in college he is doing in the pros the difference you had a team embrace his style and allow him to play his style at the highest level. That's something that we hadn't traditionally seen from NFL offensive coordinators, better yet from franchises to completely overhaul their their way of doing business offensively to kind of meet the talents of a quarterback. And so Lamar Jackson is having success because he is allowed to be the best version of himself. That's why it works. Um, For Deshaun Watson, I think, It is different because Deshaun Watson is every bit as talented, every bit as dynamic, um, every bit as electric fine, but he does it in a different way. To me, when I write down in my notes, I say he is a selective runner, meaning he can, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't always. And even at Clemson, those final two seasons, he showed you that I can run, but this is not my primary mode of moving this offense. He is a better pocket passer than Lamar Jackson. I think that showed up in college. It also is showing up in the pros and the special quality that Deshaun Watson has is I believe he plays at his best when his best is required and a lot of times that happens in the final two minutes of games we have a long track record of watching this guy perform at his best when the game is on the line I think he's a little different than Lamar Jackson I think right now we're at a point where in the National Football League we can appreciate both styles But typically, Deshaun Watson's style is the preferred style for NFL evaluators and coaches because it's easier to assimilate him into more of a traditional offense. Look, there's a lot to unpack there with what you just said. And, and I, I want to go back. First of all, let's give you some, some numbers here from that ballgame, the first time these guys met. And uh, uh, let's start here with Lamar Jackson. He was 27 of 44, 295 passing yards, uh, one touchdown pass, one interception. But he had 31 carries, carried it 31 times, 162 yards, and two touchdowns on the ground. So uh, talk about volume. And then you go to Deshaun Watson, 20 of 31, 306 yards, Five passing touchdowns, but had three interceptions, 14 carries for 91 yards. Uh, it did lose one fumble on the ground. I mean, it was it was literally it was like a game of one on one. And when you talk about their running styles and, and how they're different, 
both, uh, you know, special athletes, both electric. The way I would phrase it, Buck, when I when I try and you know get a visual of it, uh, Deshaun Watson. If you're going to boxing, let's go to boxing. Deshaun Watson is a counter puncher. Mm. So when you try and come at him, then he's going to he's going to duck and then he's going to get you. So when the rush is coming, he's going to be able to avoid you and then make something happen. Lamar Jackson is a straight ahead push push forward boxer who's in attack mode. He's always looking to be the aggressor. He's going to make the first move. He's going to come at you. That's why I would describe their styles being a little bit different uh, in that way. But you mentioned the blink scouting. It is to me, and it's a challenge, and it's something that you know I know that I struggle with, and I know there's there's scouts and, and personnel executives, GMs that struggle with it all across the league. There is such a long process in the evaluation period. It's gotten longer because we're studying these guys when they're younger. It used to be hardly anybody came out early. You would really start digging into these guys, you know, maybe late junior year a little bit, then just their senior year, and then they'd come out. Uh, now, because there's so many underclassmen that come out, there's the the need to really start digging in, diving in, uh, do the deep dive on these guys as young players, and then you study them for a long period of time. And what it does is it gives you more time to try and nitpick and find flaws when you say blink scouting. Our first obvious, obvious mm-hmm. to us, right? We're watching that ball game. The first time we really looked at Lamar Jackson in 2016, our first impression was this guy is different. This guy is rare. This guy is special. And then through the process, you nitpick here and there. It's another full year. Remember, he couldn't come out that year. It was yep. the following year. So um, that, to me, it's, again, it's a great lesson. What can these guys do? Not what they can't do. What can they do? And Lamar Jackson showed us at that point in time, the first time on a big stage, who he was. We just need to believe him. No, I, I think that is true. And I look, DJ, I, I think it's one of those things in the evaluation business. I think the evaluation business is going to change. I think scouting is going to change. I think what we're seeing with the quarterbacks that are playing well, Russell Wilson, Deshaun yep. Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, they're going to change the way that we have to evaluate quarterbacks going forward. No longer can we kind of put them in the box saying that a hey, NFL quarterbacks have to play like this. I think the selling point now when scouts are reading their reports, if I'm a decision maker, I'm a push and challenge uh, the scouts. Don't tell me what he can't do. Tell me who he is how he has to be utilized in the National Football League to have success and whether we have the capacity to maximize who he is and what he's shown to be at the collegiate level. No, it's so true. Um, It's going to be fun to watch these guys play. You know, we've seen Lamar, I think – the strides he really made from last year, having seen him play twice live last year and then watching him on tape this year, he, mm. there's no doubt about it. He is an improved passer. Um, he is trending in the right direction in that regard. And then it's just he's a weapon. I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, he is an offensive weapon and uh, and puts so much stress and strain on a defense. Um, and it's been fun to watch. And Deshaun Watson, um, look, Deshaun Watson won that game against Louisville. Um, you know, he had a couple turnovers in that game, but he was still outstanding. And – when we talk about lessons you can learn, I feel like a lot of these coaches we've talked to and these coaches' interviews that we've done, we've heard a bunch of times, uh, you know, how do they perform on the big stage? We, we heard Dabo Sweeney talk about it. We heard Urban Meyer talk about it specifically. Mm-hmm. How do they do against their rivals in high school? How do they do in the big, you know, in the high school playoff games? Well, when we're scouting college kids, how do they do in their rivalry games? How do they do in the big stage? That stage was huge. There was a lot of buildup to that game. Uh, both guys, I thought, really delivered. And Deshaun Watson did that on every big stage he played on in college. He absolutely did it. And I I think you kind of alluded to Deshaun Watson's play. And I'm going to say this stylistically, Deshaun Watson is Floyd Mayweather. You talked about the counterpuncher, mm. the ultimate um, yep. guy who can take what the defense gives him, then kind of flip it and attack what they're doing. Deshaun Watson has so many tools in the toolbox. It allows him to really be a guy that can be effective versus anyone in any style game. I can't necessarily say the same thing for Lamar Jackson. The game kind of has to be played out in a certain way for him to dominate the game. I think Deshaun Watson kind of expands what an offensive coordinator can do. I think he gives you more avenues to be able to win a game. Uh, Not to take anything away from Lamar Jackson, but I think it's a little narrow focus the way that he plays. In Deshaun Watson, you have 
more tools, more tricks, more avenues to be able to attack the defense. That enhances your win probability in the National Football League. And I think that might be his versatility, his his poise and his clutch performance might be the biggest traits that he has. And that might be maybe a separating factor that we would talk about if we had both of these guys on the draft board and which one would we want to be the franchise quarterback of our respective teams. Well, it's true. They, they just bring different things to the table. But I, I would love to know the boxing term, Buck. Maybe you know this better than I do. I know, obviously, the counterpuncher. But if somebody's always pressing forward, I don't even know what the, what the I, uh, I think, boxing term is for that. I think he would be more like a Dante Wilder. Deontay Wilder mm-hmm. always comes forward. He's always looking for the haymaker, the knockout shot. That's kind of Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is a big play performer. He doesn't want to necessarily paper cut you to death. He wants to put you on your on, on yep. your back. And what we saw, yep. yeah, like what we saw last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that kind of epitomizes who he is. The big play runs, the big throws, the shots. They knocked the Bengals out in a half because Lamar Jackson quickly found the range and he quickly peppered the opposition before knocking them out. Lamar Jackson is a guy that wins by knockout. Deshaun Watson is a guy that wins by points. He wins decisions more yep. so than winning by knockout. So if we're going to go the same, uh, if we're going to go the same class in boxing, um, then I would say you, you mentioned Mayweather um, for Deshaun Watson, who can who can play off what you're doing. He's a counter puncher, and then maybe it's Manny Pacquiao and his yeah, because Pacquiao, or Lamar Jackson, who's pressing forward and going attacking you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good analogy. Manny Pacquiao, same same class. Manny Pacquiao at his best, relentless attacker. We saw him. Like, I mean, he look, he's he's a champion right now because he he knocked out Keith Thurman because he overwhelmed him with just a persistence uh, coming forward. I think that is a, a very good analogy for both guys. One guy is always pressing the pace, always coming at you very relentless in his, in his attack, which is Lamar Jackson. The other guy is a little more pragmatic, a guy who kind of thinks and kind of sets it up. And look, Deshaun Watson has been very, very successful utilizing that approach. I think both guys are successful. I think you just have to understand their different styles and be comfortable with the different styles that they bring to the quarterback position. No doubt. Uh, all right, we're going to get to the discussion. We teased it about the wide receivers and and maybe a lesson we can learn from previous drafts and how to apply it to this draft. But before we do that, I, I want to stay on the quarterback theme because we're just talking quarterbacks here. Uh, let's go back to that LSU-Alabama game, mm-hmm. Buck. Uh, I had a chance this morning to go back and really dig into the tape on this one to watch Tua and Burrow. I'll, I'll give you my impressions of the two guys, and then I'd love to get your, your kind of feedback here. Let's start with Joe Burrow, who is uh, – Man, he's got a chance three years in a row, right? We could see three years in a row, Heisman Trophy winner, first overall pick. I think Burrow's in the mix for that. I think he's definitely a candidate. Uh, I think he is going to win the Heisman Trophy, assuming that LSU uh, ends up taking care of business here through the SEC championship game. And then when you look at him potentially being the first overall pick, yeah, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, When I watched this game, uh, what stood out to me? I saw somebody that was very poised and comfortable in the pocket. Somebody that was strong in the pocket. He was able to shake off a couple rushers, pull out of some tackles, extend plays that way. I saw somebody that's reading the whole field, uh, left to right, right to left, very, very quick eyes. Um, I saw somebody that's very accurate and decisive. Now, he does not overwhelm you when he drives the football. There's nothing that stands out there. Uh, But my biggest takeaway, and I hate, I look, I understand because I already know the reaction we're going to get. You can't compare him to this guy. This guy's the greatest of all time. That's irresponsible. I'm just saying from a mechanic standpoint, how they hold the ball, how they roll their shoulder when they climb up in the pocket, how he releases the football, um, he looks like Tom Brady. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I'm not saying he's Tom Brady's a player. I'm just saying mechanically. Ooh. And I believe he spent time – I think our buddy Lance Zerline actually dug this one up, uh, that Burroughs spent time with Tom House. And yep. Tom House is has uh, spent time with Tom Brady. There's something mechanically there that is eerily similar. And and Tom, you know, Tom's got a strong arm. He doesn't have the biggest arm in the NFL. It's anticipation. It's accuracy. His feet are always in the ground. He's very poised. He's very calm. He's very relaxed. And the motion is very smooth. So um, that's what I wrote down mechanically. I, this kid actually reminds me of Tom Brady. Look, man, we 
you've given the the football world a lot to tweet. I mean, if I if I finish, so the first part of the podcast, <laughs> oh, it's we gonna have, get chopped up. The first part of the podcast, up. we have Lamar Jackson <laughs> is Manny Pacquiao, and Deshaun Watson is Floyd Mayweather. That is going to take the Twitterverse by storm. And then this nugget <laughs> that Joe Burrow is Tom Brady is also going to kind of hit like wildfire. But I agree with you in a bunch of different areas in terms of what I see when I see Joe Burrow. I see someone who is um, calm, poised, extremely confident, very competitive, loves the moment. I think his basketball background will be a thing that we talk about a lot in the run-up to the draft because when we've talked to coaches previously, a lot of them have talked about quarterbacks and how basketball relates to playing quarterback at the highest level. Vision, athleticism, awareness, anticipation and timing because when you're a point guard in basketball you have to anticipate where guys are going you want to put the ball in the pocket so they can get the jump shot up all of those things are very similar to playing football Joe Burrow's experience in that sport his I guess his accomplishments as an all-state player in Ohio that is something to be celebrated and it will be celebrated in meeting rooms the only thing that I want to do about the Joe Burrow conversation I want to pump the brakes just a little bit. And the reason I want to pump the brakes a little bit is because he has been so phenomenal and remarkable this year. Joe Brady's system has really worked for him. However, last year, the numbers were just okay. And typically, yeah. Yeah, and typically what we, we say, the standard that we have for guys that are number one overall, we want those guys to be transcendent talents that – no matter what environment we put them in, they find a way to uplift and elevate the program. I'm not quite convinced that he is that guy yet. I, I really like him as a prospect. I'm just not quite convinced because I feel like there's kind of been an overreaction because he has played so well in this LSU thing. But I want people to understand this system is terrific under Joe Brady. And the players that he's playing with, I know everyone is going to talk about two and the good. guys around he has a nice supporting cast around him <laughs> as well. And so it's just one of those things like let's just pump the brakes before we anoint him and replace Tua as maybe the guy that is number one overall. Yeah, and we're going to get to Tua in just a second. I, I do want to say this, though, because I put a little video. I don't know if you saw it. Um, but this kind of this is kind of stuff I always love. And I knew I knew I even preempted it by saying, look, I know this is this seems insignificant. But there's, there's a play where Joe Burrow gets hit in the back, ball flutters up in the air. Terrell Lewis, who's one of the uh, more physical, imposing players in college football, uh, as an edge rusher for Alabama, catches the ball up in the air. Immediately as he catches it, Joe Burrow puts his face right in his chest yes. and, and drops him right there. And then, of course, the jokes come in. Oh, you like your I, – I prefer my quarterbacks not to turn the ball over. I'm glad you like that they tackle people after turnovers all pass. And I'm sitting here going, no, no, no. I can tell you, I, but there's a long list of guys, and we can start headlining with Andrew Luck, what he did to Sharice Wright in the USC game mm-hmm. with the hit he put on him after a turnover. Yep. There's old scouts when I started, Buck, that would always tell me, pay attention after turnovers and, and see guys who make tackles on offense. That speaks a little bit to their competitiveness and their toughness. And I've seen receivers. I put another video on after interception with Alabama where you see Henry Ruggs run the dude down and, and tackle him in the Tennessee game. Mm-hmm. That stuff seems ins- insignificant. It means something. Trust me, there is a little something to that. <laughs> It means a lot. And the reason it means a lot is because ultimately at the end of the day, it's about do you play winning football? Well, guys that are ultimately competitive, they're, they're ultra competitive. They're going to do whatever it takes to win the game. And you know, like I know, a defensive score is one of the biggest turnarounds, one of the biggest difference impact plays on a game. So the fact that your quarterback, Joe Burrow, turns it over but immediately has to um, – the, the, the right mind has the mindset that, oh, I'm going to make this tackle. I am mad at myself for turning it over, so I'm going to go and punish the other guy. To me, that speaks <laughs> to the competitiveness. And when you bring in the GOAT that you brought in early, talk about Tom Brady, well, we know the competitiveness that Tom Brady plays with. And so when you see Joe Burrow compete like that, compete like a madman in a college game, man, it only kind of brings it closer to like, this is the kind of guy that my guys are going to follow because in the film room, everyone sees how your quarterback competes. Good plays and bad plays, that is a play that's going to endear him to the rest of the team. Yeah, and there's also a video floating around. I'll see if we can retweet it. Somewhere. Oh, the mad drills? Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. The, yes, yeah. the Ohio State. Yeah, the I mad drills. He's, he's got a little bulldog in him, yeah, man. He, I he like has, that. He has a little feistiness to him. Like, 
we talk about, I want a quarterback who doesn't necessarily always have the quarterback mentality, meaning he's a guy just like the rest of the guys. He is just like the the, the 22. He's just like the other 21 guys yep. on the team. He's, he's competitive. He's going to fight. He's going to be a football player. That Matt video that we're seeing from his time at Ohio State where he and a teammate have the tire and they're going back and forth. And Joe Burrow starts out losing. And then all of a sudden you see this spark where he just not only takes <laughs> over, but he drags the guy out of the mat. Uh, DJ, I don't know if you're familiar with wrestling, but in wrestling, they have this thing called the Iowa style of wrestling. And Iowa style wrestling is always going forward, never letting up, always relentless, always putting pressure on the opponent. When I looked at Joe Burrow on the Madrill, I was like, man, he would be a terrific Iowa wrestler because he is not afraid. (laughs) He is persistent and relentless. And I'm going to say this. I like that in my quarterback. I, I like a guy that, yep. as you've said, I've heard you use these terms, over my dead body, that's the kind of guy yep. that players gravitate towards. That's the kind of leader that I want as my QB1. No doubt. All right, let's flip over to Tua here. Uh, watching this game, obviously he's not healthy. That's unfortunate. Um, the difference between him, let's give some things in Tua's favor that, that he has over Joe Burrow. Number one, uh, the quickness and the urgency with which he operates. And I see it in his feet, even though he's nicked up. Really quick feet. Um, you'll see him. I love the way Buck, he climbs up in the pocket. You know, Burrow's comfortable in the pocket as well. Tua's very urgent. He's, he'll, you'll see him snap his head working through his progression. Everything's really, really quick and sudden and urgent with what he does uh, inside the pocket. Anticipation, outstanding. You know, he throws with excellent anticipation. Now, he wasn't as accurate in this football game as I've seen him in the past. Um, a couple of balls sailed on him. You could say some of that could be due to the injury. Um, and he had one where he, he did not see an underneath buzz defender end up throwing a pick uh, because of that. But, man, Buck, if Jerry Judy catches a deep post that he puts on the money in this game, Ooh. I come out of this where he's got six throws that are just big-time NFL throws, not just that everybody thinks he just throws slants, and, and he's really good at that. But he pushed the ball down the field a lot in this game and if if he catches that slant for Jerry Judy um, we're maybe talking about two a little bit differently coming out of this game he did not play poorly Um, but that to me is what he has if you say what checks off in his column he's quicker he's more urgent he throws a little bit better anticipation uh, than Burrow and I would say um, the ball has a little bit more life I don't think either one of these guys have huge huge arms but it just seems like the ball had a little more life uh, from Tua. But I, I want to see these guys side-by-side throw in person so I get a better feel for that. You know, I think I think it's going to be a terrific battle, terrific debate as we go forward. I know some people will throw Justin Herbert in there, but I think these two guys are a little different than Herbert. Um, I would have them a notch above Herbert if this was uh, the draft and all these guys came out or whatever. I think the big thing with Tua, I think Tua is a special player. I think he's special because of the arm talent and everyone wants to link arm talent with arm strength and it's different. Um, I kind of include the timing, the touch, the anticipation, the rhythm and cadence in which um, Tua plays. I think on a couple of occasions, you see Tua get the ball out and down the rail, meaning right down the boundary in a hurry and the ball jumps off his arm and it gets to the quarterback. I mean, it gets to the wide receiver immediately. That 80 yard touchdown pass that he, he came back with, with less than two minutes to me, that was a big time throw. That was the throw that I was like, Oh yeah, that's exactly what I want to see because in the national football league, those are the kind of throws that he's going to be challenged to make in tight coverage. I think the other thing that we have seen from Tua, you alluded to the quick release and the urgency in his play. I do believe he's an ASAP player. The, the way that he plays, yeah. he gets it out as soon as possible, and it gets there in a hurry. I like that. I like his clutch ability. The biggest thing that we have to answer for with Tua, the durability. Um, if we're yeah. going to compare him to Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson never misses a game. Uh, good, bad, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how many in hits he takes, he, he's always available. With Tua... He's been beaten up, and he kind of comes in and out of games. Uh, At some point, if we're investing um, like the number one overall pick, you want to, within reason, you want to guarantee that the guy that we're taking is going to be there each and every week. And so durability is a bit of a concern. He is also what I would call a little more of a gambler. He really believes he has unshakable, unwavering confidence in his arm, and sometimes he can make – 
uh, mistakes or turnovers because he trusts his arm so much. But in terms of all the other stuff, he hasn't. And I think the one thing that we can't talk about that people won't feel and get a sense of, and I feel like I'm a little biased because I know him, he's played for me, his best traits are his leadership ability, his ability to make people follow. He is very Russell Wilson-esque in terms of his leadership style, and that's something that you can only feel and you can only feel by being around him and being around the team. That is something that may separate him from some of the other guys. And I'm not saying Joe Burrow doesn't have it, but I just know Tua has this confidence and air about him that makes him the pie piper. Can I, can I just say one, one thing here and we'll move on? Um, this is my greatest fear because we've talked about this leading up to that LSU game that with Tua – you know, the talent that he has and who they've played opponent-wise, they hadn't beat anybody. So he's a very tricky evaluation, and we were banking on the fact that we're going to get LSU, right? Mm-hmm. You get Auburn, which would be a good test, and then um, SEC championship game, and then maybe potentially two playoff games. So those are like five great evaluation tools for Tua. Mm-hmm. And now I'm worried now because they lose this game, so there's a, you know, it's very unlikely they're going to be playing in the SEC championship game. Very unlikely. Well, I would say they still have a shot at the playoff, but right now it doesn't look great. Um, so we potentially lose the two playoff games. We lose the SEC championship game as evaluation tools. So we get Auburn coming up. Uh, you get the Auburn game and then potentially a bowl game. And it's not if it's not a playoff game, you know, they'll be in at one of the New Year's six. So whether that's, you know, the Sugar Bowl or Cotton Bowl, mm-hmm. wherever they're wherever they're going to go. My concern is, man, I hope nobody gets in his ear and says, you've done enough. Um, don't play in the bowl game. Um, because to me, that would that now we've lost out. Look at all the evaluation uh, opportunities that we would lose out. I'm selfishly speaking here, right? Very selfish. But man, I want to see him a couple more times on against good opponents because we just haven't got to see a lot of that. Yeah, that's that's really what I want to see. Um, I want to see um, him continue to play in these big games. Now I know we can go back and we look at the last two years and see him perform in the championship games and in the SEC championship game, but injuries have kind of prevented. But we had never had a full slate of games to really, really watch. Yeah. And then we watched him play against Clemson when he's healthy, when he's somewhat healthy. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to see more of that. However, if we don't get a chance to see it, I think what you got to do is you really got to trust your gut and your eyes. And can you imagine creatively what he can become at the next level? I believe the comparison to Russell Wilson is a really good one to start at. I'm not saying that he is Russell Wilson, but I think there are a lot of similarities and traits, not only in their play, but in their personalities. And so as we continue to go forward with this evaluation, the conversation between Joe Burrow uh and Tua is going to be a fascinating one. It's going to be fascinating to see how scouts kind of align themselves with both guys. Yeah, I think to me, look, I have, people ask me, who is it? Who's the top guy? Look, I, I haven't made up my mind yet, man. I've got to, I have got want to watch a lot more of these guys. We're going to get more opportunities to study them. So um, it's close. I think they're both really good football players. Uh, let, let's switch over to the wide receiver discussion here, Buck. I spent yesterday just watching a boatload of these guys. And we've been talking about LSU and Joe Burrow. Man, uh, Justin Jefferson, the receiver there who's draft eligible, is fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. he is big, fast, tough. He can work in the middle of the field. Um, he can work down the field. He can do a lot of different things. He's outstanding. Uh, the uh, I watched the kid from Arizona State, Brandon Ayuk, who's, uh, to me, he's a, he's, he, is, he is outstanding after the catch. I believe there's a stat out there. He's averaging something like 13 yards after the catch. I think he's averaging over 20 yards a catch and 13 of it is after the catch. Um, so I love that about him. You think about guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, DJ Moore. Um, he's mm-hmm. that type of a guy where you just love his toughness and what he can do. Uh, really fun player to watch. CeeDee Lamb's having a great year. We've talked a bunch about CeeDee. Don't need to go there. Ruggs talked about him. Um, rare, rare speed. Um, circle back on LaVisca Chenault. The, the challenge with LaVisca Rare, rare combination of like 220 pounds, rare size, speed, uh, physicality. Uh, but man, I just some of these other guys you watch them, you see just so many, uh, you know, a variety of routes. You see him do so many different things. He's like a supersized running back where he's going to be kind of your fly sweep guy. They use him in the wildcat, just get the ball in his hands and let him go. But in terms of refinement, some of these other guys in this class are a little more refined as route runners. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, right? Because I'm writing down in my notes right now that he is basically um, a supercharged Jalen Hurt, meaning 
Jalen Hurd was yeah. a guy that you really didn't know what position he fit. Is he a wide receiver? Is he a running back? Is he a little bit of both? Like maybe we should categorize him as an offensive weapon. Uh, I think for LaVisca, I think it's very, very similar because he's not a refined route runner. He's not necessarily your prototypical uh, number one wide receiver that you can put him out there and he's going to impact the game in that role. He is a guy that you have to find a way to put the ball in his hands. And whatever that is, I don't know. Maybe that is a Cordero Patterson type playmaker, someone that has kind of found a way to be a returner and a hybrid running back type deal. But it is one of those things that is fascinating. But the other guys that we've we've talked about on, on, on this list, I mean, you talked about the Arizona State kid. He is remarkable. Had a chance to watch him. Jalen Rager, to me, is a speedster. He's he explosive. Yeah. He's dynamic. Um, right system where you're asking him to get on the edge and make plays, um, and you want the rack and the home run ability, he will give you that. Um, the Alabama receivers, Jerry Judy is the classic refined route, route runner. Ruggs is dynamic and explosive. Smith can take the top off the defense. I think this year more than any other year, um, because the depth of the draft is such where I don't know if you need to invest a first-round pick in a wide receiver. I think what you need to figure out is what exactly do we want to complete our wide receiver core? Do we want a playmaker? Do we want a route runner? Do we want – um, a specialist that maybe is the guy run that after works catch. inside outside. Yeah, run after catch. So this year, more than any other year, when we are having, and I know like uh, when we get to path to the draft, like we all love to do top fives, but I think this is going to really yeah. tax our imagination to come up with different categories <laughs> to put these guys in because it won't be a one-size-fit-all evaluation at the wide receiver position depending on what you value you'll shuffle the deck a little differently because those guys don't necessarily fit um, the traditional model at pass catcher. Yeah, and it is a it is a deep, deep group. Michael Pittman from USC, I mm-hmm. uh, went back and watched more of him. He's going to be, I'll tell you exactly what, how he's going to be used at the next level. If you watch the Chargers and how they use Mike Williams, mm-hmm. that's how you're going to use Michael Pittman. Um, who's going who's gonna to catch three balls a game in the NFL, but one of them is going to be 40-plus, yep. um, where he's going to just high point balls down the field, make, make plays. He's an asset in the run game because he's just so big and strong uh, and tough. And he's going to win on some slants at key moments in the game. He's not going to be somebody that's just running every single route on the tree and, and the whole offense is there for him, but he can do his damage in minimum touches, in minimal touches, I should say. Uh, that's Michael Pittman. Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty is enormous. Um, big, hulking, physical receiver who, Buck, when I was looking for comps, I compared him to Billy Madison at recess. That's who I compared him to. Because it's like watching Billy Madison play dodgeball with little kids. Oh, man. And Liberty's playing. They're Division One now. I mean, they're playing. This is like Buffalo. And I watch, I think it's Syracuse. Except mm-hmm. A couple of these games I watch. These are Division One teams. And he just kind of ragdolls guys after the catch. He kind of posts up on guys, one-handed catches. He's not going to run that fast. I would guess he's probably a 4-6 guy. Um, but if you're looking for that big physical guy, he, he fits the mold there. You talked about Rager, who can, who can fly. Devontae Smith, uh, ultra, ultra explosive for Alabama. I don't think, you know, I think it's long been thought that Jerry Judy, you know, was going to be the top wide receiver in the draft. I don't think that's the case when I talk to people around the league. That's, mm. that's kind of all over the place. And there's a lot of people, I'd say it's pretty mixed on who the best Alabama receiver is because, you know, Henry Ruggs is faster, and that's not debatable. Mm-hmm. He's got rare speed. Henry Ruggs is a little tougher, a little more physical at the way he plays in terms of breaking tackles. Um, he's a great special teams player, so you bring that to the table. Now, Judy's a superior route runner. They're both outstanding after the catch. Judy's more loose and slippery, uh, whereas Ruggs just can flat out just run right by you. But that's not, I mean, that's not a slam dunk now. There's, there's, it, depend, it depends on what you're looking for, what you want. Yeah, it, it, it really does depend. Um, and even just at Alabama, just using the three of those guys as an example, uh, Jerry Judy isn't the most explosive, but maybe he's the most ready in terms of uh, yeah. raw running ability, polish, uh, maybe being able to play multiple positions and have um, an effect on the impact of the game. These other guys are explosive, though. So when you're talking about right now players in terms of being able to take the top off the defense to give you the home run potential, uh, these guys may offer more of that than Jerry Judy. And so it would be important that as we are moving down the evaluation and really for area scouts, um, what is exactly the offense coordinator looking for? 
how what is his vision for yeah. the offense and the role that whoever they take in is going to play on that offense, I think that will determine the order more than anything else because I think talent-wise, all of these guys are comparable talents. Um, it comes down to skill set and which skills you prioritize when it comes to selecting your uh, coveted wide receiver. All right, Buck, I want to do a little exercise here um, where we go back and go start at 2016 and we look at the top two receivers that were picked in the first round. And this is in terms of how they've played in the NFL versus the top two receivers in terms of how they've played that were drafted in the second round. And I, I think we'll find something interesting here because these teams have to make a decision. Do you, if you love a receiver, do you take him right there in the first round or do you wait? So in 2016, the top two receivers in terms of how they've played in the NFL, Will Fuller and Josh Doxson. Those were the first round guys. The second round guys, Michael Thomas, who's on record pace right now, uh, reception-wise, and Tyler Boyd, who's been a good player for the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think that's debatable, right? I mean, the second round group, you would take over that first round group. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think for the first round group, Will Fuller has been solid. He's a speedster, uh, but I think he's role specific. His role is to be the big play artist on that team. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is the number one. Will Fuller is the designated number two. Uh, he's the guy that does all the vertical stretch plays. I think the difference is with the other guys, Michael Thomas and Tyler Boyd, their games are a little more conducive to being lead receivers in their respective offenses. Michael Thomas, big physical. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts. Um, right now, physicality, toughness, and physical domination are traits at the wide receiver position that you covet. Um, so if I'm going to get a big guy, I want him to physically overwhelm and overpower. He needs to be fast enough, but the physicality has to be a big part of his game because I'm going to ask him to do some tough guy things, catch the ball over the middle, dig out linebackers in the run game, make those combative catches. I need to see that. Tyler Boyd has a little bit of everything in his game. He can play the physical style, but he really he's a slippery, polished route runner does the dirty work inside the numbers which makes him a nice compliment to AJ Green when he's healthy but it also enables him to be the number one when AJ isn't available because Fuller and I mean Josh Dawson for a less degree just never it just never didn't work for whatever reason in Washington Fuller is more explosive and in the draft we kind of get caught up in the I guess the dog and pony show in terms of what guys bring to the table. Speed is outstanding or whatever, but he's role specific. These other guys were a little more versatile in their play, but he just didn't have maybe the physical traits from a speed standpoint that enabled us to put them in the first round. Yeah. Again, it, it kind of comes back to what role you're looking for guys, but um, you know, Will Fuller has been a good player when healthy. Obviously the durability is a, is a legitimate issue there, but I think you can, make a strong argument there for those guys in the second round, everything that they've done. All right, let's go to 2017. Corey Davis and Mike Williams. Uh, John Ross was also in the first round that year, but it would be Corey Davis and Mike Williams uh, versus Curtis Samuel and Juju Smith-Schuster, who were the second round picks. Now, when you look at, uh, let's look at Mike Williams compared to Curtis Samuel. So Curtis Samuel has caught, let me see, pull it up right here. Curtis Samuel Career 88 balls for 1,051 yards and nine touchdowns. So 88, uh, 1,051 and nine. Mike Williams, 85, 1344, some more yards and 10 touchdowns. So one more touchdown. I give the slight edge there to Mike Williams. But then you go Juju Smith-Schuster uh, and what he's been able to do, and you compare him to Corey Davis, and that is a lopsided win there for Juju Smith-Schuster. So while it's close, I think you still probably would take that second-round group over that first-round group. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think the big thing, like we'll put an asterisk by Corey Davis. Um, sometimes injuries have impacted his play, but also the transition from, look, it, it's still a D1 school, but the, the jump from Western Michigan to National Football League, sometimes it can take people a while to kind of settle in. He has shown flashes, but he hasn't been the dominant player that you want to see as a top five pick. Juju Smith-Schuster stepped into a nice situation in Pittsburgh where he was playing opposite an electrifying player in AB. He has grown into a complimentary player. Maybe he will become a number one, but Juju Smith-Schuster has always been a solid number two, and that role fits him well. Physical, terrific after the catch, has shown more juice than maybe you thought in terms of being a vertical player. This year hasn't been the same kind of impact player for the Steelers, but he's been solid. And I think sometimes in the second round, if you can just hit a double, that is more than enough to kind of sustain yourself. 
Well, let's put some numbers on it. Corey Davis, uh, obviously consider the situation, but in his career thus far, 127 catches, 1,640 yards, six touchdowns. So 127, 1,640, and six. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, 205 catches, 2,846 yards, 17 touchdowns. So Oof. the situations are different, no doubt, but the production is not close. No, it's not uh, so close. So to me, when you look at the other two guys, it's, it's comparable. That one's not. So I, I still think if we're, you know, for, for the sake of this exercise, I think you'd have to say the second-round guys over the first-round guys. Yeah, the, the second-round guys have certainly done it. I, I, look, this goes back, and I meant to lead it off before we got into it. When I, when I was in Green Bay um, and then working for Mike Holmgren in Seattle, uh, we did take a first-round wide receiver. We took Corn Robinson my first year maybe my second year in the league. But typically, the, the, the blueprint of the game plan was to take a wide receiver in the second and third round. Um, and the reason why is because they felt like the system would create opportunities for a guy to develop and grow into a more prominent role. There also was a developmental plan for those players. The first year they would come in, they would meet a third receiver and the punt returner. The second year, they may knock on the door to be a starting player. And so as we look and have these discussions, I am beginning to wonder, is it a smarter investment to bypass taking a wide receiver in round one and maybe invest in two receivers, second, third round, second, fourth round, and see if those guys can develop into being number one players? We've seen the Pittsburgh Steelers have success with guys outside the first round. So maybe just maybe that is a better developmental and economic model to building your team. Yeah, I mean, I, again, it's just it's not that you're not you want to get great players, but you also want to get the value with where you pick them. That's the challenge that these decision makers have. Um, this next one is pretty fascinating, Buck. I think this is a this is a close one here. DJ mm-hmm. Moore, Calvin Ridley, um, 2018 versus Christian Kirk. And I put DJ Chark. Cortland Sutton's been really good, too. Yeah. Uh, another second rounder there. This one, I think you could make an argument either way. I think if you look at their the Man. careers thus far, you probably lean towards the first-round guys because of, of DJ Moore, uh, his production. He's, he's had a nice start to his career here. He's got uh, 1,400 yards and uh, only three touchdowns, but 1,400 yards. DJ Chark um, only has 866 yards in his career, six touchdowns. But you're seeing him really blossom and emerge this year. We're starting to see him take off. Christian Kirk is another one who um, doesn't have huge numbers. He's got 1,000 yards, 1,057 yards, six touchdowns. But, man, you're starting to see him take off uh, this year as well. So I'd say if you're looking at kind of where they're going, man, it's a you can make a case for those second-rounders. Uh, DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley, they've been pretty good. Yeah, both guys have been pretty good, and both guys have done it in their own unique way. Uh, when we talk about stylistically, they're different in terms of the way that they play. Um, DJ Moore is more of the playmaker, uh, rack specialist, run after catch, makes it happen when he gets the ball in his hands, breaks tackles, gets loose on the perimeter, is uh, kind of squirrely when it comes to being in the open field. Calvin Ridley is a route runner. Calvin Ridley is a guy that certainly benefited from playing uh, opposite Julio Jones. He gets the one-on-one coverage on the backside, but he wins against number two receiver, number two cornerbacks because he does have all the the tools in the toolbox in terms of stop-start quickness, separation, burst, uh, just being crafty at the top of his routes. Uh, it proves that if you know exactly what you want and how it fits into your offense, both guys, both styles can be very, very successful. No doubt. Um, let's move down here. So I could say we could give the edge there to the first round guys, but it's close. Very close. Uh, 2019 this year. This one's, you know, it's tough because you got Marquise Brown, who's been good. Um, it went on the field, missed a couple games, mm-hmm. but he's been good. And then Nikhil Harry, uh, who has not been on the field, has been injured for the New England Patriots. And then you look at the second round guys, um, you know, you, we've got good options here. But we've got Miko Hardman. We've got DK Metcalf. You also have A.J. Brown. Um, mm. So I think that, to me, when you just look at the numbers, it's early, obviously. It's it's halfway through the year, a little over halfway through the year. Uh, to me, that's the second-round guys thus far, early on. Yeah, the second-round guys, uh, Miko Harmon jumped into an offense that uh, they very they, – I mean, they have a clear understanding of how to maximize his skill set. He's fast. He's explosive. Uh, they have maybe a clone to model their offense around because they have yeah. Tyreek Hill, so they understand kind of how to position him on some of those deep overs. DK Metcalf has been – the height, weight, speed specimen uh, that we thought it would be at Ole Miss coming into the league. And what the Seattle Seahawks have, they have a unique offensive system where 
Russell Wilson creates the big play opportunities, scrambles, loose plays, um, these deep balls. And so DK Metcalf has been able to be, we talked about a couple uh, a couple weeks ago, he's been able to be basically a supersized uh, Ted Ginn Jr., where he's the vertical stretch guy. He's not asked to run a lot of different routes, but because their offense uh, revolves around the running game and that vertical passing game, it has worked for them. Marquise Brown has given the Ravens a boost when he's been available. He just hasn't been available enough to really kind of endorse him fully. But right now, I, I, I think uh, you could go either way, but you could certainly say that the second-round players have had a greater impact than their first-round brethren. Yeah, you look at Miko Hardman, 21 for 437, five touchdowns, a 20.8 average. Marquise Brown, 28 for 454, four touchdowns, 16.2 average. The numbers are very, very close. My thing is, and I love Marquise Brown. I thought he was the best receiver in the draft class, and I think uh, he's got a chance to, to, to be that guy throughout his career. The, the, the challenge is, man, they got Miko Hardman, who does a lot of those same things without paying that price, you know, up there in the first round. So it's a... It's interesting conversation is what I'm getting at here, Buck. Yeah, no, it's just a very interesting conversation. It's one that uh, evaluators will have to continue to have. When we talked about the depth and the talent in this draft class, the 2020 wide receiver draft class is absolutely loaded with talent. You have to have that conversation. And I think we also have to reset. We've always talked about the positions and what we value most. So if we value quarterbacks and pass rushers up there, um, I think you have to put those positions up there and then say, oh, okay, second round, I can go and get a pass catcher because it's been proven year after year after year that it may not be that big of a difference between first-round receivers and second-round receivers when it comes to their impact and value. It's because it's seven-on-seven, seven, man. I, I go back to the, yeah. to the proliferation of seven-on-seven. Seven. It's just producing wide receivers. Uh, I mean, every year they're just they're, they're everywhere, wideouts. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of times we talk about the devaluation of the running back position. I think you could probably say the same for the wide receivers. It's devalued in terms of, do I need to get it in the first round? Or can I get it in the second and third round and still have that kind of production? All right, let's uh, let's get to, uh, we're going to quickly go through some hits and misses, then get some uh, some questions here that you guys have left us, and, uh, and then we'll get rolling here. Um, Normally I do hits and misses, Buck. I do a player I got right, a player I got wrong. But let's let's have some. Let's do this uh, uh, in a humble way today. Let's go to DJ misses here, and uh, and then we'll keep it at the same position. It'll be nice and easy. So this is a player. Now these guys with where I had them graded was very very much in line with where they got picked, but they have outperformed their draft selection. Mm. Okay, you ready? All right. The first one, and these are just notes, so it's not my full reports here, but I just have the notes on, in this Excel sheet on these guys when I got ready for the draft. This player has touch, a lot of QB runs, has a bad habit of sinking his base, and when he does, the ball will sail. I do like his quick release. I do see poise. He reminds me a lot of Brett Hundley, and this player has been significantly better than Brett Hundley. Let's leave it at that. Brett Hundley, jeez. I'm, I'm, digging, I'm digging through the crates. I'm over here digging... Digging deep, trying to find. Well, I know somebody is not. It's not Christian Hackenberg. Let's see. Uh, uh, let's see my quarterbacks. So you only got top three rounds. He was not a top three round guy, Buck. Oh, he was not but a top three round guy. Uh, no, but he is a starter, and he is fixing to make a ton of money. Oh, this has to be um, Dak Prescott, right? This is, it is, this is draft? Prescott. Yeah, this there is his draft class. See, I, I, See, I, 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 I made sure Nabil gave. I made sure Nabil gave you just the top three rounds. <laughs> I was like, I was looking like, top like, three rounds. Yeah, hey, no, he. No, Dak Prescott. So yeah, I compared Dak Prescott to Brett Hundley. That is that's a little off, huh? You think? Uh, I mean, just a little bit. Like, I mean, I'm, I might have gone too far in the other <laughs> thing because I compared him to Steve McNair when he was he was coming out. But part of it was just oh, yeah. Well, of, you won that one, but just because of the rugged style of play, but. Um, who knew, DJ, like a lot of what works is fit and scheme, and he went to a nice place for him. The Dallas Cowboys worked. They had a the big offensive line. They had the running game going, um, and it just was the perfect storm. Got on the field uh, sooner than we anticipated, but it's worked for him. And I think the one thing that we see from Dak Prescott, uh, beyond his physical traits, his best traits are really his leadership, his competitiveness, yeah, um, the moxie, the toughness, that stuff. And so as we talk about these quarterbacks, we talked about Joe Burrow and Tua, big, being able to dig down and see how much of that do these guys have because it's really, really important. The, the interesting thing is, again, I talk about breadcrumbs. Go back and figure out and learn from your mistakes. When I look at just those little notes that I had there, Buck, 
if a guy's got poise and a guy's got touch, it's a pretty good foundation for a quarterback. You know, that's the difference between him and Hundley. You know, I compared him to Hundley because they both ran the ball a lot. They're both physical, similar builds, um, similar arm strength, I would say. But Hundley didn't have that touch, and Hundley didn't have the poise. So that there's there's the mistake right there. Um, all right, let's get to another quarterback um, who I had a little bit lower than Dak. Um, and here are my notes on him. Operates in the pistol. Uh, holds the ball a lot, question his uh, pocket awareness, does show the ability to work left to right, uh, great size, throws with touch. I gave, I thought he'd be a good backup, and uh, he's now emerged to be more than a good backup. Mm. Same draft class. Mm. More than a backup. You liked him more than Dak. No, no, I like Dak better than him, but he was he was behind Dak a little bit. I, Dak, oh. I gave a developmental grade. I thought Dak had a chance Joe, to be a starter. We're talking about Jacoby um, Brissett? Correct. correct. I thought Jacoby Brissett <laughs> was going to be a career backup. Um, I thought that's who he was. I just questioned his kind of awareness. It's just an interesting ball, thing because you know, he's not he's not a super yeah, athlete, kind of a, a different, I want to say a, a, a different bill, but – there was nothing that necessarily popped when I watched him on tape. Now, uh, full disclosure, leading up to the draft, one of the guys that was advising him had kind of pulled me to the side and talked to him and talked about the relationship that he had with Bill Parcells and all of those coaches, Dan Henning down there in Jupiter, Florida, and how those yeah. guys really took a liking to him. But at the time, you're like, man, this guy's just selling me a story. Like, I mean, that's a great story, but is yeah. he good enough? to be that and look sure enough goes to the Patriots has some success goes to Indianapolis after they fixed the team this year they they miss him like when he's been out like Brian Hoyer has not been able to kind of sustain it the way that Jacoby Brissett has and this team has won and they won in a different way than they were winning with Andrew Luck but you can't knock his ability to get out there and to manage the game in a winning fashion and sometimes in the National Football League that's all you need at quarterback. Yeah, that's what he's done. He's uh, he's really continued to grow and develop and uh, become a good, solid starting quarterback in the NFL. The NC State thing is kind of funny when you look at Phillip Rivers, Russell Wilson, who was at NC State before he transferred to Wisconsin, Jacoby Brissett. We saw last week um, Finley start a game for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's going to start the rest of the season. Also look at Glennon. Uh, I mean, there is a bunch of guys that have come out of, uh, of NC State to play the quarterback position. How come you guys couldn't get any of these guys at North Carolina, Buck? Man, like, okay, so you're talking about a transfer and Jacoby Brissett from Florida. Uh, Mike Glennon was a big-time prospect. I, I, I say it. Was he, are you guys have rules? You're not allowed to take transfers in North I Carolina? Mean, it's rare we take them. It's very rare. Like, it's rare that we take oh, them. Well, were all the dummy classes full? You couldn't get them in those fake classes you guys have been running? They weren't, fa they weren't, they weren't fake classes. They were correspondence courses, meaning that you could take them from the <laughs> comfort of your home. You don't have to go on campus. And so they're really meant for the, the winter months. Um, I, th I think it's <laughs> – <laughs> I, I think it's funny that they do have this pipeline with all these NFL quarterbacks, the Rivers, the Glennon, the Russell Wilson, the Jacoby Brissett, uh, Ryan a bunch Finley. Of dudes. Yeah, a bunch Finley. of dudes. I mean, geez, yeah, gosh. And we don't have anybody to hang our head on. Pretty nuts. No one, yeah. All right, Nabil, give us, give us some questions here. Again, these are questions that everyone has left us on uh, – on Apple Podcasts, you just leave us a review right there, and uh, and we will answer your questions. So fire away, buddy. What we got? First one: Who is the best running back duo in the league? Whew. Best running back duo in the league, Buck. What do you think? I'm gonna go with the Cleveland Browns. I'm gonna go with Nick yeah, Chubb and Kareem way. Hunt because I believe they have remade the Kevin Biner, the Kevin Mack, Ernest Biner thing that I used to do in Tecmo. These two dudes potentially. Ooh, they could be a problem. And if the Cleveland Browns stick to the formula of running the ball before they put the ball in Baker Mayfield's hands, I think this could be a very problematic duo. Those two guys in the split back formation, the way they're motioning Hunt out and throwing him passes while handing the ball to Chubb, this could be a problem. This is something that we haven't seen. I'm going to take you all the way back to when we were kids, DJ. The San Francisco 49ers, when they had Roger Craig and Tom oh, Rathman, yeah. and they're playing split backs and doing all that other stuff, this really reminds me of those San, San Francisco 49ers uh, great teams in the, in the 80s. Uh, that, that's a great call. I, I'm, uh, that would probably would have been the one that I would have gone to. Um, I'll say, look, Kamara and uh, Latavius Murray, 
It's a good one. Be up in there just because Kamara is so good. I mean, he can do everything. So you get a little bonus points there. Um, and plus, you get a big back. But I'll give you one because you talked about Cleveland, kind of where they're headed. I think that's one that's on the rise. I got a sneaky good one in Philadelphia because Miles Sanders uh, continues yeah. to grow in his role. Mm-hmm. He's got some juice. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. Jordan Howard's kind of that pounder. That really kind of fits the uh, you know the the mold of having kind of a pounder and then more of a speed guy. So I like that combination going forward for the Eagles. Look, his work for them, and if Doug Peterson remains patient with the running game, that could be the thing that propels them to a division title. Uh, since they've utilized Miles Sanders in their role, and since they've run the ball more, committed to running the ball more. That offense has a little more pop, and because this is a team that's really devoid of explosive playmakers now that Deshaun Jackson is on the shelf, they need their running backs to make their plays, and I think Miles Sanders may be their more ex- most explosive option offensively as it stands. What's next, Nabil? What do we got? What surprises you most about the NFL? Oh, man, what surprises me most about the NFL? To me, it's that, well, I guess – it shouldn't surprise me because it's a long season, but it surprises me some of the team, some of the eggs that get laid throughout a season. In other words, you just how do you account for what happened with Atlanta and New Orleans? I mean, when one team is playing so well, other teams playing so poorly, and then you get a result like that. The people that bet on NFL football are certifiably crazy. I'm convinced of that. I, I don't know how you know you could study the matchups and everything could could slant in one direction you can get a different result so i would say that's what surprises me the most about the league um although it shouldn't because it's a long season buck it is very surprising to see the 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 parity in the league um to see teams like the miami dolphins that can go toe-to-toe with these teams when it seems like their rosters they don't have any 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 stars they don't have enough um people that can compete but it's a national football league and when we really talk about any given sunday any given Sunday, anybody can be knocked off. Uh, there may be a narrow path to victory, but if people follow the path, uh, they certainly can win games. And so it's been one of the things that continues to pop up when we watch these games each and every weekend. No doubt. All right, give us – I think we got one more in the bill. What we got? I'd like to hear more about Bucky's first year coaching at Granada Hills Charter High School. <laughs> what offense did he implement? Oh, nice. And why? Now we're talking. <laughs> what was the culture before and after his first year, and how did he deal with players who didn't oh, buy in? Oh, yes. Uh, Give me some Granada Hills Charter football chat. What we got? Man, this has been like the best experience that I've ever had in terms of uh, coaching young people because it has been the biggest learning experience for me. Um, it's one thing to go from what we call the suggestion box to being the decision maker when you're an assistant coach you got all the bright ideas you can give everything hey coach why don't we do this why don't we do that when you have to make decisions you have to weigh okay if we do this this is how it impacts the entire team and so it's funny that it brings it to the offense because we are a double wing offensive team that wasn't the intention. Um, the double wing offense is very, very popular in California because of a coach um, named Don Markham. Don Markham in 1994 took a one and nine team and won a state championship by scoring 880 points, running a, a double wing off a double tight double wing offense with a lot of misdirection. It is equivalent to being kind of like Army. It's the great equalizer. It's not the flex bone with the option, but it's a powerful option that offense that also has a lot of misdirection. It's an offense where if you don't have an elite quarterback, you can get by. So we did it because of our personnel. We did it because it's a little contrarian. Everyone in our area is a little more spread. So this gives us something that allows us to be different. And if you think about long-term viability of the program, you're trying to create an identity so it works. It's a lot easier to get running backs than quarterbacks. So that's why we went there. And it's also a selfless offense. In terms of culture, the culture part is everything that we've talked about with these coaches, like how do you take over? And it doesn't matter who was there before you. The players that are there when you stand in front of the room, they're your players. So how can you stress commitment, accountability, and trust? How can you get them to buy in and believe that, look, you really love them, you care for them, uh, your love for them is unconditional, good, bad, or indifferent, that you're going to show up every day? And then finally, I think what you're trying to do is kind of get them to buy into the message of whatever your values are. And so what are the things that we've talked about, especially during the end of the season? Um, we wanted each player and each the, the team to feel like you're unstoppable and you're unbreakable. That if you buy into what we're doing, that there is no one that can stop you. We may lose, but we won't be broken. And the, the unbreakable comment comes from, You'll never have your spirit broken. No matter what happens, we'll play until the clock runs out. But good, bad, or indifferent, we won't have our spirit 
uh, broken. And if we can do that, we're going to win a lot more games than we lose. And so I was really proud of our guys because they kind of took to that. And we feel really, really good about where we could go in the future, just kind of believing in each other. Well, I want to just add one little thing on there. Can we get Elway to donate some money to the program? I mean, what do we we're, got here? We're, work, we're working on it, man. Man, look, he, he's come around, but to his credit, like, we haven't done the big ask. And so you heard James Franklin say, hey, the first couple of times you meet with him, you, you get just t-shirt give him and a hat, stuff, baby. get a T-shirt and a hat. And then then later on, the big ask. So just so you know, he knows it's coming. 2020, that's when the big ask will come. We need, we need a couple of things around the program now. <laughs> now we do the big ask to kind of make some of this stuff happen. I love it, man. Well, I, I, it's been fun to kind of go along on that journey from afar with you, Buck, to watch you take over a football team, change that culture, get them winning football games and being, being competitive. Um, it's been fun. Pro- I'm just proud of you as a friend, but proud of you and what you're doing working with all these kids because you could have easily stayed where you were, um, been a coordinator at an established program, but instead you took on the big chair and, and took over a place that had struggled. And it's been fun, man. It's been fun to watch. Thanks, man. It, it has been a lot of fun. Like, um, I can only tell you, like, uh, to watch kids have success, to win five games in a row, to have a winning season when they haven't had one in a decade, to play a very competitive playoff game where everyone is very emotional after you lose a one-point game, but to see the JV kids emotional and crying because they know that their seniors didn't go on, but they're committed to come back, that part is exciting. And so, man, we can't wait to get back to work. So I'm excited about it all. Oh, that's awesome. Well, this has been a fun episode. I, I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as we have. Um, again, you heard some of those questions get answered. You have questions, go on Apple Podcasts, drop them on there, and uh, leave us a review and a rating. We'll be happy to answer it next week on the pod. A lot of ground covered. Uh, looking forward to next week. More great coaching conversations coming your way. We've got a lineup that you're going to really enjoy. Trust me on this one. Uh, but uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.